I've never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life. She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that. It was like a shockwave going through my body. You're listening to a podcast episode from Spun, a live storytelling night in Darwin. My name's Jess Ong, and I'm the creative producer of this event. Now, Rachel Crowes has sat between two worlds most of her life, one with sound and one without. Rachel opened her story at Spun with some sign language. My words, travelling through your ear canals, tickling your eardrums, connecting to three of the smallest bones in your body as they link up to an inner window through a fluid-filled cochlea which spins up to a tip, transferred in an electrical impulse through your auditory nerve up to your brain. And you recognise my words. If anything along that path is interrupted, at most you will hear some noise and at least you will hear silence. It can be a beautiful thing. Christmas morning, 1990, I woke up to find something stabbing violently on my eardrum. Subsequent evaluation worked out that it was a bug that had crawled in while I was asleep. Being the Australian variety, it didn't want to die very easily. And when dead, it was still annoyed because it didn't want to come out. So I found myself awoke on Christmas afternoon in a sunny ward in a Royal Darwin Hospital to Santa stroking my arms, mouthing the words, Merry Christmas. Growing up with hearing loss was not so bad, really. It didn't seem to bother me, just everybody else around me. Angry adults, always shouting. Years later, I said to my mum, why did you always shout at me? Rachel, I'd asked you three times already, she said. You just didn't hear me. And so I used to work out that the key to this sort of hearing lark was watch people's faces, keep abreast of things, try and work out what they were going to say, and don't say yes until you're absolutely certain. <laughs> but it was a funny sort of world because in one way it was quite solitudinal and I loved to walk and ramble and think. And on the other hand, I used to really focus hard on people's faces and just automatically seemed to imbibe shape and lip and body movement until I kind of understood what was going on. But your frown on your face and your furrowed brow and your concentrated sort of sight, it gave me the personality trait of moody. I wasn't moody. I was just perplexed. (laughs) I moved on and got various sorts of hearing aids and things like that, and doctors came and went and tut-tutted and had a look, couldn't work it out, syringed them again. I didn't really bother. I wasn't too bothered at all. Had the TV up loud and just enjoyed the quiet, really. But eventually I succumbed and went to school and got called to the principal's office and an ugly black box was pushed towards me and he sort of mumbled, go home and wear this. Thank you, I said. Took it home and opened it up and it was a brown, ugly piece of plastic that I put in my ear and when I worked out that it hurt, found a million ways to break it. So I managed without managing for another five years or so. Eventually I went to college And uh, by then I'd got two smaller but no less brown hearing aids, which I held in my hands, hoping that they would cause magic for my ears to hear. 
they didn't. Um, but luckily I had a charitable friend who used to lend me her lecture notes, so I scraped by and we headed off to London to the big smoke for our careers in yuppie land. I loved London. Nobody talks to you really in London, you know, not on the tube or on the street or anything. It's great, you know, just perfect. And I had the added bonus because um, for some reason, you know, needing a volume-controlled phone, it meant that I was actually one of the 3% disabled. Finally, I had a label. And that meant that everybody wanted to recruit me. Tick. It's <laughs> 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 great. Never out of work. Um, we should try it here. It'll work, you know. Set it up as a challenge, not as a punishment, you know. We will get in there. But all the graduate lawyers that I sort of was passing through the office in the city of London, were all on their gap year, and they were all heading off to Australia, and I thought, hey, it's about my turn. So, got my visa, done some sign courses, didn't really want to admit to being in the deaf world, so chose not to, didn't like the hearing aids, put them at the bottom of the backpack, tried to forget about them, came to Australia. Australia's big, it's wide, it's loud, it's got noisy fans and air conditioning, and evening shadowed barbecues, not really the environment for someone who's deaf. Uh, but anyway, I wasn't known for my conversation, but I still managed. So you can imagine that that Christmas morning 25 years ago, when I kind of woke up with two bad ears, I went, to, <laughs> went into the operation with two bad, came out with one bad and one not working. I swear to this day that the doctor actually said, you are going to Alice Springs for an operation. At least that's what I read on his lips. <laughs> Strange when I arrived in Adelaide. <laughs> When I was growing up as a child, my um, cousin and I had learned the fingerspell alphabet. So I was kind of working out, what am I going to do with this? Um, because by this time I'd had four operations in Darwin, Adelaide, Melbourne. No hearing, just wobbly legs, wobbly balance, and no ability to fly back to England for one year. I was stuck here. So I visited the Deafness Association up in Casarina, and I met somebody there who kind of wanted my skills. Within a couple of weeks, I was teaching lip-reading classes, and I was a very quick and visual learner, and so I learned how to sign here. So I didn't really fall into the deaf world, and hearing, I still chose not to wear my hearing aids, but I was able to advocate for people. And so for 12 years, I grew in that role, and I really loved being around people. And of course, technology moves on, and uh, eventually my audiologist gave me these two little bits of brown plastic again, but with a bit of wire attached to them, called a bicross system. So even on your deaf side, you can hear a little bit on your hearing side. And all of a sudden, I had 360-degree sound. It was amazing, really amazing. So I thought, well, I like these, so I will choose. But I still decided that I would be optional as to whether I actually wanted to come out and be deaf whether I wanted to fight a little bit more and just keep a toehold in that hearing world. But then the motivation for me really to learn to sign came when I had my first child, who was to need speech and sign for the rest of her life. And it was an amazing opportunity. So I had maternal motivation. It makes all the difference. She responded to sign at about 12 months. So I really hassled the family and really made sure more and more people signed to her. And uh, one night she offered up her first sign to me, which was Teddy, given out of the blankets in the, in the quiet and darkness of her bedroom, her forgotten toy that she wanted to sleep with. And my heart sang as I ran to the lounge room to find it. And I realized that I had a connection through our hands. And despite her intellectual disability, 
she had a brain and we could talk and we could grow and learn together. And she was an amazing pupil. And while she learned to talk and to sign, I learned how to listen. And from that point onwards, my career became going around all over the NT, teaching parents to sign to their children. And I've sat in classrooms and verandas and under trees all over the place and just gently, methodically routinized some sign between a mother and a child and watched the child eventually copy the mother and see how that connection has happened through communication. And I get letters and texts from mum saying, and he said this and she said that, and it's connection. That's the most amazing privileged um, role to do. Um, back here in Darwin, we have grown through my daughter's friends and cousins and teachers, um, sign to connect with each other. And through music, we learn to talk, we learn to read, and um, we really have learned to grow as a, a community through signing choirs and performances. It's been an amazing revelation to me. So now, I, I live in three worlds. I live in the hearing world, and I live in the beautiful silent world, and I live in the sign world. And uh, maybe that bug had a purpose after all, because they're all wonderful. Now, this story is one of the many reasons why Spun exists, to shed light on the extraordinary lives being quietly lived by those amongst us. Rachel is the executive officer of the Down Syndrome Association of the Northern Territory and is also behind Project 21, which provides educational pathways for young adults with disabilities. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lashlo Hassani, and story production by me, Jess Ong, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or at our website, spunstories.net. Thanks for listening. <laughs>